Hey everybody, I'm Nick Davis. Welcome to Simply Not Easy, the podcast about simple action steps to improve the journey of your life as I work to improve the journey of my own. Hey, what's going on everybody? Welcome back to Simply Not Easy. Hope you're having a great day out there. Workout Wednesday, time to pump the glutes, quads, and basically everything else. But when it comes to the legs, well, those two are the most important because they lie on that continuum of each other. So as we move, right, we are either emphasizing more the knee or more the hip. And we look at a squat motion or deadlift motion, a lot of that primarily relies on quads and glutes. We absolutely get hamstrings as well. We need to think of the hamstrings much more as stabilizers. That they do shift, they do change their range of motion. But because the hamstrings are both knee flexors and hip extenders, they really work as a tension rope that when maintained near the same length, we can create optimal stability through them. So do we load them? Absolutely. But the actual movement that occurs through the tension of those muscles is relatively minimal throughout a tension range. So this hip-knee continuum thing, what is it? Well, to a certain extent, it's a function of, does this start, does a movement that we do for a workout emphasize more of the knee, more of the hips, and what are the implications for that? And when we look at functional movements like a squat or a lunge, for example, in different movement patterns, it's very easy, in fact, too easy to hide our weaknesses in those. And they usually don't become apparent until either you're specific and you test it, or the compensation and pattern is so severe, so severely weak or misused in the other side that it becomes very apparent. So, knees, quads, it's all knee extension, right? What can we do to power that up, either eccentrically, lowering ourselves down, or concentrically pushing up strong into that triple extension pattern? Hips, similar thing. It's either a eccentric loaded going into hip flexion with our glutes or powering up, springing back through. Yes, we need a little bit of hip flexor action, but again, that's more of a stabilizer isometrically to be able to control or regulate it through range and a little bit powering up at the end. For muscles that more load the anterior chain versus the posterior chain, our movements, I should say, right? That were more dominant in front these are gonna be ones that emphasize the quads and the knee a lot more. Place a relatively higher percentage of the load on them. Statistically, females tend to be more quad dominant, while males tend to be more glute dominant. This is a little bit of, there is stats behind this, but again, this is, the, this is without necessarily intentional training into this pattern. This is just genetically morphology where people tend to go, to, tend to gravitate towards now I will say that among, we'll say recreational athletes, right, for males and females, we see a pattern of females focusing a little bit more on the booty than the guys are, or at least for that accessory booty work. And that's totally fine, right? We wanna get those hips nice, strong, and robust, but we don't wanna do it with completely neglecting the quads either. Right, there's also a movement out there where it's like, okay, we'll do this, we'll focus on it, but we'll do this in such a way where it's minimizing our leg girth, right? Every, every chick wants to have a big butt and not as big legs. 
not every chick. I'm way over exaggerating, but this could be very detrimental, especially looking at something like ACL tears, right? Trust me, hips are absolutely important. We can't neglect quads. So many times after people have ACL repairs, what we see is that, you know, they're doing a functional squat, they can get their way up, they can do it, but if we look at the nuances of the movement pattern, what ends up happening is that they lose it. They lose it in the quads. And because of quad weakness, whether post-surgical, hard time activating, or just plain old weakness, it's usually an overlap of all three of those. What happens is, is they load the glutes and the hips a lot more, which is fine in the short term, right? And what I mean by fine, it's really not fine, but it's fine as they can get by it with it for what the basics that they have to do for walking, for moving, for all that stuff. But anytime you're trying to get back to a high level activity, you gotta be able to eccentrically load the quads for some kind of landing mechanism. If you can't do that, well, damn, you're in trouble. And this makes sense, right? If we look at this from a standpoint of, okay, what are we doing to control this, blah, 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 right? And, you know, hey, you've got a weak part in your squat, a weak part in your movement. It's either gonna be the knee or the hips. Okay, sweet, that makes sense. But we need to break it down in terms of, okay, where on the spectrum do I go? to work these, right? If we have the weight loaded very far, kind of, um, and depending, this depends on the trunk angle too. So it depends where in the body the weight's loaded and how that influences our trunk angle for our weight. So doing something like a, a lower bar squat will activate our hips a little bit more because of a greater incline of the trunk angle where it's almost looking kind of like a half good morning. And then vice versa, where we have something like a front squat, goblet squat, or even a overhead squat with like a thruster type movement, right? That's gonna load our quads or anterior chain a lot more because of how much it requires us to be upright and loaded so that more of our weight is relatively posterior. If more of our body weight is just the position of ourselves, the combination of internal and external weight is posterior back towards our butt, we're typically, as a strategy, gonna load the quads more to be efficient. And typically, if the weight or body weight is more anterior, more forward, we're typically gonna load the posterior chain, the glutes and hips a lot more. Now, I've seen plenty of exceptions to this, and this lies in individual patterns for people for neuromuscular control. And this is usually if one pattern is so deeply ingrained that even when it's not an optimal position alignment, what happens is they just overdrive that. They're used to overdriving it, and they are not used to being able to use the other option. So this is all about giving people options, options of movement, not just have one pattern. That what happens is when we have one pattern of movement, whether it's in the back, the hip knee continuum, or anything else in the body, when you only have one way you're able or used to move, what happens is we have breakdown. And I don't necessarily mean physical breakdown, although that can happen. What I really mean is you get tired, irritable, right? We're meant to have variability and variety. When we see people with knee away, what happens is they have a favorite spot they move from. That's really what it is. They have a favorite spot they move from. And when we see that, you know, they have that irritation and change there, if we catch that at an early stage, what happens is if you feel the pressure, somebody poked you with their finger, versus the pressure of the needle, and it's actually the same amount of force, it's gonna feel a lot sharper at the needle. It's gonna pierce the skin. 
I'm guessing the finger probably won't pierce the skin. If it did, we'd be having a big issue. And the needle would go really far, comparatively. Same kind of deal, right? A little bit of irritation, just on one very specific spot on the knee, and lack of mobility, and many other factors that influences, hey, we've got a little bit more, um, we use the word wear and tear, but again, more so irritation. Little bone bruise inside the knee. Our structures are extremely robust and they can adapt. So knee away is not a life or death sentence. It's a sentence for, hey, we have a warning, a flag's in the air, we need to change the way we move desperately. And if, if we don't change the way we move, then we run to issue. If we do, usually, depending on what stage we catch it at, we'll be A-okay. People can improve their function a ton and their pain by a fair amount. So, that's where we're at, y'all. Hip knee continuum. Where, what are you trying to emphasize? And also evaluating it for not just during a workout, but what are you or other athletes trying to hide, trying to save away your weaknesses? They're gonna be exposed eventually if you put them up to a high enough task. So you better expose them early to have them ready to build them up to make some changes. All right, y'all. Hip knee continuum. Get working, stay strong. Simply. Not easy.